right here. This is where Jesus was kneeling when they uh, came and grabbed him. Um, and I, I, I came in from this direction with my sword drawn, and I cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I reacted exactly the way Jesus told us not to. And Jesus, he picks up that man's ear. And he... Puts it right on his head, like it always been there. But that's what he did. Jesus was always fixing people's messes. <laughs> you know, um, I said I didn't know him that night. three times three times I denied my friend he told me I was going to do it before I even did it and like an idiot I argued with him <laughs> but he was right He's always right. He told us he was gonna die before he died. But you know what he did? You know what he did when he came back to life? <laughs> that morning when he came back to life, gave me the opportunity to tell him I loved him. Three times. Three. He knew, he knew that was my greatest regret. But that's how he does it. When it settles here, it changes here. And that turns the past upside down. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened that night. Because of what happened that morning. Because he beat death. Death. He is alive. <laughs> Alive! Alive! My goodness me, wouldn't it be odd to have Peter as your tour guide as you toured the Holy Land? Stories of violence and intrigue and drama. It'd kind of be fun, actually.
Come to think of it. Uh, at Collaroy, one of the most beautiful suburbs in Sydney, on the northern beaches of Sydney, is the Salvation Army's Collaroy Conference Centre. I know, inventive name. But it is one of the world's most beautiful conference centres. Just a few hundred metres up from the beach, and uh, it is just beautiful. The highest building on that property is a chapel, and from that chapel there are these great giant picture windows, and you can see kilometres up and down the coast, in the most beautiful coastline, second most beautiful coastline in Australia. For Rebecca and I, it is a very significant place, that chapel. God spoke to us as we attended camps, served at camps and led camps at that conference centre and in that chapel. But on the 27th of September 1997, we were married in that very chapel. I got a few... Half of you have got shocked looks on your faces because I remember the date, but that's all right, I had time to Google it. Do you have a place like that in your life? Maybe it was the place where you got married or the place where so-and-so proposed to you. Maybe it was your, the first home that you lived in where all those memories were made. What about a a place where you won some competition? Place where you graduated high school? The place where you passed this this exam or that exam? The place where you were awarded your master's certificate? Well, for me, whenever I return to that chapel, I'm hit with a a wave of recollection. Nostalgia, perhaps. I don't know. And so, but sometimes I sit there and I, I marvel at, I think about the fact that that day, that moment, in that place, every single thing about my life changed. It was turned upside down in a way. I wonder if, a bit like Peter there, I wonder if Jesus' friends and followers ever went back to the tomb. Do you ever wonder about that? Maybe to visit, to reflect, to wonder, to marvel at what it had all meant. We know that at least four followers of Jesus wrote about it. And this morning we read the account from Luke. We read the account from Mark. Earlier this morning we read the account from John, which we'll revisit in a minute. And Matthew, of course, records his account as well. So let me review the story the way I understand it, compiling those four perspectives. Early on that first Easter morning, that Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, the women went to the tomb to finish the work of embalming Jesus. It was the women's job, they didn't have undertakers particularly, and so they would do the work, and couldn't be done on the Sabbath, because no work was to be done on the Sabbath, so it was very early, as early as possible as they could make it the next day. They go there to finish the work, and Jesus isn't there. The tomb's empty. 
Two guys appear in shiny white uniforms, freaking out the women, but saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. The women race back to tell the guys back at the house, but the guys don't believe them. So, Peter and John take off to go see for themselves. Now, you can't blame the guys. It's an incredible claim. Someone who is dead, buried in a tomb, behind a huge rock, protected by a squad of Roman soldiers, isn't there. Instead, a couple of people in white robes are there saying, he's not here, he's risen from the dead. Now, in John's account that we read uh, at the lighthouse this morning, he says that he went with Peter to the tomb. In fact, he refers to himself in the third person, that a disciple whom Jesus loved. It's a nice way to refer to yourself and I encourage all of you to refer to yourself in the same way. But in John's account, he says he actually went with Peter to the tomb. But Peter is not as fit as John. Because John gets there first, which of course explains why John included it in his recollection. I would too, boasting rights. But John just looks inside, notes that the grave clothes are there and then waits for Peter. Peter gets there and Peter is Peter, he goes charging straight past John, straight in. He has a look inside and then John comes in and joins him later. And sure enough, just like the women have said, nothing is there but grave clothes. Now, I like John's recollection. John writes really, really well. And if you could read the Greek, you, you would enjoy it as, as much. Um, now, there are three words in Greek that John uses to say seeing. He saw, he, he saw, he saw, he saw, he saw seashore, something, righto. I'm getting distracted like Rebecca. So, when John arrives first at the tomb, he has a quick look inside, grave clothes are there, no Jesus, but he waits for Peter, right? And the word that John uses here when he says, John got there and saw, he uses the word blepo. Do you want to say it? It's a great word to say, blepo. There you go, he saw it. Now, this is a kind of word that means to casually observe. It's the same sort of word you might see uh, in a story, oh, the light was red, so he stopped the car. You, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's mundane, it has no meaning, it's just casually observed. The sort of observation you make and then carry out uh, an automatic reaction to, to stop the car, for instance, or something. It has no real meaning or significance. That's the word, blepo. And you know what, some people see Easter that way. They know it happens. The shops are not open, the coffee shop isn't open that they normally go to. So they know it happens. Important things are going on. They start to see Easter eggs and hot cross buns from about the 1st of January starting to appear in the supermarket. So they know something's happening. They know that they get a bit of a holiday, which is great. But other than that, it has no real impact. No real significance. It's just one of those things that happens. Like the light turns red. That's blepo. That's a blepo Easter. Secondly then, in John's story, Peter arrives at the tomb, charges straight in and sees the linen wrappings. This time, John uses the word theorio, which I like to remember as the Oreo. 
It's an observation that doesn't raise hunger, it raises curiosity. An observation, this is the word that we get the English word theory from, yeah? So, this is the way he sees, he observes, he studies, and he theorizes. This is what this word means. And the grave clothes themselves are an interesting aspect to this story, because they weren't, they weren't unwound and dropped on the floor, they weren't uh, taken away if, as though someone had stolen the body, they were there in the shape of a body, just flat. Uh, I don't know um, how you picture this, but I generally picture this, um, if you've seen Star Wars, and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is killed, spoiler, <laughs> the movie was released in 77, catch up. Alright, so, Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed, and his body dis- doesn't disintegrate, it, it evaporates, it disappears into the Force. Different theology, we'll go there later. And, and his clothes just kind of sink flat. Does anyone, anyone know the scene? Who knows the scene? Great! So, those of you who didn't have your hand up, talk to someone who did. Now, that's how it looked. That's how the the Greek implies that the grave clothes were. They were in the shape, just flattened. So, that's kind of odd, right? That's odd. And of course, it made Peter wonder, curious, theorise. For some people, Easter is like this as well. So, it does raise a lot of questions. Some people become curious, they want to know more about what happened. Maybe they find themselves in a church, like you, this Easter, and, or they might be at home watching a live stream, like all of you. And the event makes them curious to want to know more, to wonder and consider the evidence and to theorise on what it might mean. Sometimes people, after Easter, go looking for other stories of Jesus' appearances after His resurrection. They read about the different meetings he had, the different meals he shared, the different messages he gave them, his disciples and hundreds of other people. Maybe this Easter, for you, is a time of spiritual curiosity and investigation, theorio. Well, finally, in John's account of the story, John finally goes inside the tomb to join Peter. And he saw and he believed, John 20, verse 8. And in this instance, John uses a different word, he uses the word, idon, edon, edon. It's a bit like a computer games company, but with an N. Um, And it means to perceive with understanding. In other words, he saw the wrappings and their peculiar way of lying there, he theorised and got it. Everything fell into place for John. The answer to the enigma was that Jesus had risen, passing through the grave clothes, which he left undisturbed as silent proof that death could not hold him, nor any material bonds restrain him. I like to think that in that moment when they're both staring, he turns to Peter and he says, He's alive. Some people see Easter this way. I hope many of you see Easter this way. Seeing, understanding, believing, 
There's no point looking for the living among the dead. There is no point looking for Jesus in a tomb because He is resurrected. So instead, we should be looking at things in an upside-down way and we should look for the dead among the living. The first century followers of Jesus certainly saw the resurrection this way. Many scholars point to the first century uh, Christians as the greatest evidence for the resurrection. The passion, enthusiasm and zeal they showed was intense, incredible. They were absolutely and totally convinced that Jesus was alive, so much so that, they, that, that, that hundreds and thousands of them were killed because of their refusal to renounce their belief in Jesus and its significance for the world. That's not something you do unless you are completely and totally convinced of the reality of your belief. It was real, it actually happened, Jesus is alive. Luke 24, 12, staggered by this, Peter walked away, wondering what it meant. I like that word, staggered by this earth-shattering. You know, when you have that, I, I don't know, it's only happened to me a couple times in my life, but when the surprise and the shock is so great that you just almost can't stand, literally. Shocked, confused, dumbfounded, staggered, wondering what it all meant. What impact would this have? Here's the word for this, staggered by this. The, the Greek word, we're actually doing a bit of Greek today, really thought about it. There's a fourth Greek word we've talked about, but it's important. The word is, yeah, I probably should figure out how to say it, thermazon, 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 It sounds a bit like Uma Thurman. So, if that helps you remember, that's the word, thermazon. It means to wonder, to be awed over, to think deeply about, to continue ruminating with awe regarding the experience in order to try and make sense. What difference has it made? What difference does it make to you? It's all good and well to say Jesus is alive, but what difference does that make? Is this good news story of Easter an idle tale to you? Maybe it's a holiday ritual, a time to get together with family, eat bucket loads of chocolate, appease everybody with a few moments inside church as part of the pageantry of the day, go home for a great big lunch, an awkward conversation, and arguments, and fun family traditions. I don't know, maybe your family's different, I don't know. Or, is the reality of Jesus' resurrection, leaving an empty tomb, a life-changing moment that you will marvel over? Thumas on over weeks and weeks from now, like Peter was in his tour guide video. Has the resurrection reality turned your world upside down, right side up, in such a way that nothing about your existence is ever going to be business as usual? Has it? What difference does it make? Well, let me give you the quick version. 
We are relational beings. Our society, communities, our lives are made up of relationships with other people. Some we choose, some we don't. Relationships are all there. And unfortunately, it is also true that those relationships, those connections can be broken, marred, flawed and hurtful. And as a result of that hurt, all human beings experience shame. Shame, according to Dr. Brene Brown, is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, something we've done, or something we've failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. I, I, I always seem to be talking about this because I think it's so key and so important. We are a broken people. We do things that cause us to feel ashamed and condemned. And not only that, because we live in a broken, messed up, hurtful world, people do things to us that cause us to feel shamed, condemned, unworthy and disconnected. This, to a greater or a lesser extent, is the true curse of sin. It is the plague of humanity and the consequence of breaking God's good and loving creation. Can you see these kinds of feelings and thoughts in your life? Can you see the times where you might feel like something that was done to you or something you did has left you with a lingering sense that maybe you are just not worthy of love and connection? A fear that maybe you aren't really that acceptable to God? A dread that perhaps you are a reject, broken and irredeemable? Well, you see, the empty tomb is significant because as John explains it, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but exactly the opposite, to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already, because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus died so that people would not perish. Jesus died so that people would no longer feel condemned. Jesus died that so people would no longer feel ashamed. Jesus died to eradicate any reason someone might have to think that they are unworthy of connection, unworthy of the love of God. So we don't worship the grave, but today we revisit the grave because it makes us stop, it makes us reflect it makes us think of just how our whole life is different because now we know the love of Almighty God. We know the acceptance of God, the universe and everything. So the world now looks the right way up and we can face everything we need to face because Jesus did, Jesus won and we are His. 
I pray the reality of the tomb, the reality of the risen Jesus be something that you continue to marvel at every day. May you ruminate on it, may you think about it, may you thermazon it, that fact, that reality, may it sink deep into your soul each and every day because He is risen. He's risen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Please. Lord God, you love this world so much that you gave your one and only Son, so that we might be called your children too. Lord, help us to live in the gladness and grace of Easter Sunday every day. Let us have hearts of thankfulness for your sacrifice. Let us have eyes that look upon your grace and rejoice in our salvation. Help us to walk in that mighty grace and tell your good news to the world. All for your glory do we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks.